So today is the last sermon uh, in the marriage section of our sermon series on marriage and family. And it's a little bit ironic because our last sermon isn't actually on marriage, but on singleness. You might be thinking to yourself, why, why would you preach on singleness in the middle of a series on marriage? And why would for, and I am, for several reasons. First, because in this series we've spoken so highly of marriage as a wonderful means of glorifying God that it may leave some of you with the impression that one must be married in order to glorify God. Or that marriage is to be the primary pursuit if we are to experience the blessings of God. But neither of those are true. There are ways in which believers can glorify and experience his many blessings in their singleness. That's the first reason. The second reason to preach on this is that many people who are single desire to be married one day. For example, I imagine that most of the children in this room will one day grow up and desire to be married. And so how can you be acting right now as you eagerly wait and How can you be preparing yourself biblically for when the Lord's timing does come? And then a third reason, though many of us are married, we all know people who are single. You can probably name two or three right now. Well, to love and to honor the single people that we know in our lives, we want to to know uh, what, what we, the, the truth that we can speak into their lives and, and how we can encourage them and support them uh, and pray for them in their singleness. And so this topic is definitely connected to marriage, and it's an important and fruitful topic for everyone, no matter where you, you find yourself this morning. And to look at what God's Word has to say about it, uh, we are going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 7. So you can turn there now in your Bibles. And uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, is, 7 is, is quite a full passage. We've referenced it multiple times already in our series. Um, and it's, it's easy to kind of get overwhelmed by all that Paul is saying there. He covers a whole range of topics. What we're going to try to do is, is sift through that and specifically focus on, on what he says about singleness. And we're going to start in verses 6, chapter 7, verses 6 to 9, and then we'll pick up again at, at verse 17 to the end of the chapter. So let me read God's word for you this morning. Now as a concession, this is verse 6, Not a command, I say this. I wish that all of you were as I myself am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. To the unmarried, I I give this charge. Not I, but the Lord. Oh, sorry. Whoops, I missed something there. Oh, no. Now, sorry, down to uh, verse 17. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. 
But if, you, but if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who is called in the Lord is a bondservant, is as a bondservant, is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not, do not become bondservants of men. And so brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you've not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I will spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From, from now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had, had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly towards his betrothed, if his passions are strong, and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart, to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then, he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is, and I think that I too have the Spirit of God. And so as I said, this passage can be a little bit overwhelming and confusing to, to put together all that Paul is saying. It raises questions like, is singleness a better relationship status than, than being married? And if so, how do we reconcile that with Genesis chapter 2, where at the very beginning God says, it's not good for man to be alone. Should I be seeking a spouse or, or should I just stay single? But what if I really want a spouse? Or am, am, am I... Am I going to be less beneficial to the Lord if I get married? Maybe you're asking the question, do I have the gift of singleness that Paul is talking about? These are all questions that, that might have arisen in your mind as we are reading this passage. And I do intend to answer them and to bring some clarity to what the Bible teaches on singleness because I think oftentimes in the church, uh, it can be, the, the teaching can be confused. And so I've summarized Paul's teaching on singleness here into to four points, and here they are. First, the freedom to be single. 
Second, the gift of singleness. Third, contentment in singleness. And fourth, singleness to the glory of God. So those are the four points that we're going to be looking at. And then we're going to finish with some practical applications for for preparing for marriage, dating, uh, and supporting the singles that you have in your life. And so first, the freedom to be single. Now what do I mean by that? What I mean is that Christians are not required to be married, though marriage is is the norm for most Christians. In other words, you are, you are free in Christ to be either single or married and still glorify God and be within his, his will and plan. And Paul refers to this several times in our passage. Verse 8, to the unmarried and the widows, I say that it's good for them to remain single. Down in verse 27, are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. And then in verse 37, whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart, to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. And so essentially, Paul is saying that being single and celibate is a legitimate status for someone to hold. See, not everyone's path leads down the road of marriage. Now, that's, that's somewhat different than what we see throughout the most of the Old Testament. See, in the Old Testament, singleness is almost always seen as, as being undesirable. You know, if someone was single, it was either because they were a widow, in which case they would usually remarry, or because they were a eunuch, or because some sort of state of uncleanliness brought about by disease, or uh, because of a unique divine call of God. Like uh, God, God tells Jeremiah, the times are getting really bad, and I'm calling you to this ministry. I don't want you to get married. Or, or Elijah, uh, called to be a prophet. But apart from these exceptions that we see in the Old Testament, there wasn't really a, a category for singleness. But now... Paul talks about what appears to be a a new category of being single. And he talks about it not in an undesirable way, but actually in a quite positive way. So you might ask, what what changed? Well, a lot changed with the coming of of Christ, with the the ushering in of the new covenant. You see, there's this, this paradigm shift with the promised seed of Abraham. And one of, the, one of the shifts is that the people of God are no longer perpetuated by physical descent. Like we see in, in, in the Old Testament. Those who were in covenant with God under the Mosaic covenant, under the Abrahamic covenant, were, were the, the covenant was passed on to their children through, through physical descent and through the sign of circumcision. But now that's changed. And as a result, it makes it possible to contribute to the growth of God's people without being married. And so for our Old Testament reading this morning, I read a portion of Isaiah 54, which points to the the coming reality, uh, which points to this coming reality with the coming of of Christ. Now, I'll read those first couple verses again. And you you can see this in the passage. It says, Sing, O barren one. Who did not bear, that is, someone who did not bear children, someone who doesn't have children. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more, 
than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. So enlarge the place of your tent. Let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. In other words, your house is going to be filled with with lots of children. For you will spread abroad to the right and to the left, and your offspring will possess the nations and will people the desolate cities. And so you'll notice here what Isaiah is saying is that a time is coming when the barren woman will bear offspring, even more offspring than the married. Now, how is that possible? Well, with the coming of Christ, the people of God, the sons and daughters of God, are not those of physical descent, but children by faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why it's possible for the barren woman to have her house full of offspring, because offspring are not limited to physical descent. Now, this this isn't meant to take away from the importance of having physical children within marriage. I think I've been pretty clear in this series that if you are married, you should be seeking to have children if the Lord will allow it. But even then, just having children is not the end of the story, but the beginning. Just because you're born into a Christian family doesn't make you part of the people of God. Children need to be trained and discipled and led to faith in Christ. And John 1, verse 13 to 14 is extremely clear on that issue. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. You see, the people of God grow not through procreation, but through regeneration and faith. And because of that, there is freedom for Christians to be single and still honor and glorify God. Now, just because you are free to be single, it does not mean that God intends singleness for you or that singleness would be good for you and glorifying to God in your circumstance. See, in our culture today, there is, there is really a pandemic of singleness. Not enough people are getting married, and, and it has devastating effects upon our, our culture in many ways. And so this leads to the second point of our passage. You're free to be single, but Paul talks about something called the gift of singleness. The gift of singleness. If you've been around Christian circles long enough, you've probably heard the term, the gift of singleness. Uh, But I don't think most people really understand what that gift actually is. I've been involved in a conversation with someone who who is talking to me about their desire to marry and they just... They want to marry, but they feel like there's not really a lot of options around them. And then another person joined into the conversation and said to them, well, have you ever thought you might have been given the gift of singleness? But is that a right understanding of the gift of singleness? Does everyone who is single have the gift of singleness? How do you know if you're someone who has this gift? Let's look at what Paul says in verses 6 to 9. Now, as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as myself, but each has his own gift from God. One of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it's good for them to remain single as I am. 
But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. And so in these verses, Paul mentions the, that his celibacy is in fact a gift from God. But he clarifies in verses 8 and 9, and he also clarifies later in the passage, that this gift, it's not a gift that's for everyone. And one of the qualifiers that you have for the, the gift of celibacy or singleness, I'm, I'm using the two interchangeably, is that you don't struggle with this idea of burning with passion. You know, passion to be, to be intimate. And so then, if you, if you strongly desire marriage, that, the, that that is being put upon your, your heart, and you desire the, the physical intimacy that comes with it, well, then you, you don't have the, the divine gift of, of singleness. That's what Paul's saying. He says it's a gift given to one and not to others. And one way you can tell is, do you desire to marry? Do you desire, are, are, you, are you burning with passion? And, and Jesus says something similar in Matthew 19, verse 11, 12. It says, not everyone, not everyone can receive this saying, but only to those whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. And so both Paul, Paul's not talking about, or Jesus isn't talking about actually making yourself a eunuch, just like he doesn't want you to actually pluck your eye out every time you sin with your eyes. His point here, and Paul's point, is that singleness and the ability to remain and be content in a celibate lifestyle for the sake of the kingdom of God is truly a divine gift to certain individuals. And so just because you're single, it doesn't mean that you have the gift of singleness. And some of you might be breathing a sigh of relief uh, when when you hear that. It's actually quite rare. And actually, problems can arise when you, when you try to force the gift of singleness upon people. I think that's part of the reason why there's, there's been that, the scandals that we've seen in the Catholic Church of priests abusing children. You're forcing the gift of celibacy on them and, and when they don't have that gift. And, and you're preventing them from being married and it has damaging consequences. And so singleness then is a gift bestowed by God that is freely and voluntarily chosen for the purpose of not being distracted by the extra challenges and burdens of marriage, but a freedom to be devoted to active ministry in the Lord. And that's what we see from the examples of single people in Scripture. Paul, because he's single, can devote his time going on several year-long mission trips where he can uh, be risky with his proclamation of the gospel because he doesn't have others counting on him and requiring his leadership. Or we see Anna, the prophetess, the, the, the young widow. Uh, when she is single, she's able to go to the temple every day to worship and pray and fast night and day, it says. And you can add to that the hundreds of, of stories of missionaries who have been given the gift of celibacy and have used that to bring the gospel to the furthest reaches of the earth. And so that is the the gift of singleness as Paul and Jesus described it. So some of you may have that if you are single, but but what about in which case you should be using that 
to the glory of God. But what about the individual who is single without the gift of singleness? Someone who strongly desires to be married, doesn't want to live a celibate life, but but wants to be joined to a spouse in marriage, maybe seeing all of your friends around you getting married and having kids, and, and you're saying, I really want that. That is what I want. Well, what are you supposed to do? Because you, know, you, you can't embrace a gift that you don't have. That leads to the third point of our sermon. Contentment in singleness. Contentment in singleness. See, for some, singleness and celibacy is a divine gift, but for many people who find themselves single, singleness is actually more like an affliction. You know, it's, it's not good for man to be alone. God has made us for partnership. He's given us sexual desires. He's made marriage something that is beautiful. And so to desire that, but to not have it, is an affliction. It's a, it's a form of suffering. And so you don't need to feel bad or embarrassed if you're, you're single and you desire a spouse and, and not having one makes you a little bit bummed out. You know, he, Proverbs 18 verse 22 says, He who finds a good, a good wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. And so it's okay to desire that. But where things can start to get dangerous and to drift into the area of sin is when we so strongly desire something that when we don't have it, we fall into discontentment. You know, I'm, I'm never going to be happy until... I have this. All, all I need is a, is a husband, and then I'll be glad, and everything will be better. Or if it becomes the primary pursuit of our lives, rather than the will of God being the pursuit of our lives. You know, if your greatest concern is who am I going to marry, rather than how can I advance the kingdom and the glory of God, then that's a problem. Then you have a problem in your, your singleness. And that's why Paul gives the instruction that he does in verse 17. He says, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned him and to which God has called him. (coughs) See, here Paul is calling the Corinthians to be content in the place that God has put them in. And he, he applies this to marriage. He applies it to circumcision. He applies it uh, even to slavery and to economic status. Now, he's not saying, you know, don't ever strive to change the circumstances that, that God has, has put you in. For example, he does tell slaves, yeah, if you're able to get your freedom, go, go ahead and, and get your freedom. You should take it. But his point to all, all, of, all of these people is that we need to honor and to serve God with joy where he has put us in that moment. That's what contentment means. It means finding satisfaction and joy in the Lord, no matter the circumstance that you find yourself in. The words of Paul in, in, in Philippians 4 should be the goal of all of us. He says, I have, and he's writing this from prison, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And this is the secret. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And so if you're here 
and that's you, and you're, and you're, you're single, and you desire to be married, but your, your situation just doesn't seem to be changing. You know, I get that it's hard, and I get that it, it hurts. But know that God, in his, his good providence and in his immense love for you and for his own glory, he has you in that season for a reason. And your call is to run to Christ for strength to be content in Him alone. I love marriage, but ultimate happiness and joy is not found in, in marriage. Now, there's many miserable people who thought that joy was found in marriage just to be let down when their idol didn't live up to what they thought it was. No, ultimate joy and happiness and satisfaction is found in Christ alone. Psalm 16, verse 11, In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. And so don't let your anxiety over your singleness take control of you so that you think about it when you wake up and you think about it when you go to bed at night and your life is just consumed with this desire to find a spouse. Instead, bring your, your struggles, bring your tears to the Lord. Pray that He would give you a a spouse, and and give you contentment until that time and cast all of your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. And then heed the words of Matthew 6. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and then all of these things will be added to you. That's the third point, contentment in singleness. Now before we move on to the fourth point, let let me recap so far what we've looked at. First, you've seen that Christians are free to be single or be married. Not every Christian needs to be married if they're to glorify God, nor does every Christian need to be single if they're to glorify God. Second, we've seen that singleness or celibacy is a gift that is given by God. And if someone has been given that gift, they should embrace it and pursue it to the glory of God. Use the freedom that they have to love and to serve the Lord. But... That gift is only given to those who are able to receive it. Just because someone is single doesn't mean that they have the gift, just like a table is not a dog because, simply because it has four legs. And if you find yourself in the category of, of single without the gift of singleness, we saw thirdly that God's calling you to contentment in the Lord. And that doesn't mean don't desire or don't pursue marriage, but it means trusting the Lord and His plan for your life. And so now the question arises, well, you know, whether I'm single because I've been gifted with singleness by God, or whether I'm single as I wait to get married, what should I, what should I be doing in the, the meantime? What should I be doing in my singleness? How can I use my singleness to glorify God? And that's the fourth point of the sermon. Singleness to the glory of God. And let's look at verses 32 to 35. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, 
but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. And so if you are single, you are to use this time in your life for the kingdom of God. Now, Paul is right when he says that marriage comes with an increase in responsibility and other commitments that you do not have when you're single. I remember when I was in university as a single man, I could, I could spend more time in evangelism. I could read more books. I could have longer periods of Bible study. I could, I could go on a month-long mission trip and no one's going to be relying upon me or really miss me. I could, I could randomly meet up with a guy who texted me at the last minute for coffee and not have to, to call someone and say, okay, I'm not going to be home for dinner. Or I'm going to be home late tonight. Now, as a pastor, thanks to the provision of the church body, I'm still able to do the majority of these things to the same level. But, but for most of you married men and, and married women, you know, men, when you, come, when you come home from work, you've got the, the duty and the cares of, of looking after a family. You can't spend every night meeting up with, with guys from the church or, or reading 10 chapters of the newest systematic theology or, or taking a, a mission trip for, for months at a time. You, know, you have a responsibility to your, your wife and your family. And the same applies to a married woman. It was responsibility to her children and to her, her husband. But singles, because of the nature of singleness, you do have that freedom and flexibility to do things that would be challenging for married men and women to do. Now, I think there was, there was a period in time where there were some issues with it, but for the most part, I think it was really good where there was, a, there was people who were, were single and they decided that they were going to just devote their lives to, to mission work. I think of the young missionary Lottie Moon. Lottie Moon was, was an American Southern Baptist who devoted her life to mission work in China. At the age of 32, she actually turned down a marriage proposal, and after which she left her job, she left her home, she left her family to follow God's lead into the mission field. And she spent 40 years teaching at a girls' school and making trips into the inner villages of China where she would Proclaim the good news of the gospel with the women and children in those villages. And at the end of her career as a missionary, it was actually the leader of her mission board who said this to her praise. He said, I estimate a single woman like Lottie in China is worth more than two married men. You see, Lottie didn't have any biological children, but... Because she used her singleness to advance the kingdom of God, she is now enjoying her time with the Lord, surrounded by many children and offspring that came from her proclamation of the name of Christ. The barren woman truly will bear many offspring to the Lord. And so if you are are single, it's not so that you can delay your adolescence till you're 30 and sit around in your parents' basement playing video games or catching up on the latest season of the reality TV show or soap opera that you've been watching. It's not so that you're, you're free to go and pursue your selfish desires without the burden of a family. No, God commands you to use your singleness to advance His kingdom and to do something that's going to last, to do something of eternal value that's not going to be burned up in flame. See, God is 
placed you in this season where you have less commitments and less devotions so you can be fully devoted to the work of the Lord. So if you're single, you know, look for opportunities to serve. You know, be, a, be a prayer warrior, asking people how you can be praying for them. Be an evangelist. Mentor the, the youth in the church. I know I was blessed by single men who, who, who mentored me when I first became a Christian. Develop a, a habit of strong spiritual disciplines. You know, serve alongside the other mothers in the church that have lots of children and, and help them and, and learn from them for when your time comes. Study the Bible as much as you can, while you can. Go and get a, a theological education. Build a, build a God-glorifying business that you can bless other people from the church with. Whatever it is, you know, don't waste, waste your singleness. Don't waste the, the freedom and flexibility that God has given you for a reason. As Paul says, you know, be anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. That's how we use our singleness to the glory of God. That was the last thing that I want to look at together. I want to speak about preparing yourself for marriage and dating. We've already talked about the absolute need for contentment as well as not wasting your singleness but using it to the glory of God. Those are, those are two things that, that need to be in primary focus. But I do want to look now at what are some other things, what advice can be given from the Word of God for someone who, who is desiring to be married in the future. And I encourage the youth and the young adults to, to especially uh, listen up for this section. It's not too early to start preparing to be a good husband or to be a good wife. And so the first piece of, of biblical advice as you do prepare is make sure, and this is most important, that you are a man or a woman who loves and fears the Lord above all things. The greatest thing that you need to be doing to prepare for marriage is making sure that you are a person of godly character. Of godly character. But Paul says in 2 Timothy 2, verse 22, and he's saying this to, to a young man, Timothy, flee your youthful passions. Flee your youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with all of those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. And so, young men, you need to take that instruction. Think, is your life more concerned with youthful passions? Or is it more concerned with righteousness, faith, love, and peace? Now, do you care more about how shiny and, and clean your truck is, or how shiny and clean your heart is before the Lord? Did you care more about your physical discipline in, in the gym? Or do you care more about your spiritual discipline in the Word of God? Did you care more about your, your high score on Minecraft or, or Fortnite or whatever video game people are playing these days? Or do you care more about building up the church through serving them with the gifts that God has given you? you know, the type of girl that you want to attract, she doesn't care about these youthful passions and pursuits. And we're told to flee them. Abandon your, 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 your folly. And for young ladies, you know, are you pursuing godly character like that described in 1 Peter 3? 
Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of your hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the wearing or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. And so young ladies, are you more concerned with you know, how beautiful you look? You know, how, to, how to get the attention of men by wearing those clothing that, that draws their eyes to certain parts of your body? Or are you more concerned with a pure and gentle spirit? You know, devote yourself to, to developing a beautiful heart that a man of God is going to be attracted to. That's the first thing. Make sure your focus primarily is, I want to be a, a man or a woman of God. The second piece of, of biblical advice, as you prepare to get married, make sure that you deal with the sins in your life that are going to make marriage difficult. Start dealing with the sins in your life that are going to make marriage difficult. Two sins that single men can often suffer from are pride and lust. Pride and lust. And the Bible repeatedly warns young men to watch out for their pride, to, to instead seek humility, to recognize that they have lots to learn, to to take and receive the rebuke of others like a man and not whine and complain about it. And that's going to make you a far greater husband in the future. And then, with the sin of lust, if you're continually falling into sexual sin like watching pornography, that, that definitely needs to be dealt with before you're ready to get married. Now, I'd advise any girl... Not to marry a man who is continually viewing pornography. And you should ask him that before he's married. Or, or get your dad to ask him that question. If he is, then you don't proceed with the marriage. That needs to be dealt with. If, you, if, you're, if, you're, if you want to be married, you have to deal with that problem before you get into your marriage. And, and if you are someone here who is struggling with that, and you're in that fight, please come to me and, and talk to me. Because I, I do know what an, how, how enslaving of a sin that can be. And I know... That there is victory that is offered for us in Christ. And so those are the sins of men. And, and for ladies, you might also struggle with the sin of lust. Many do. But another sin common to women is one that we already talked about. And that is discontentment. See, you need to be in a place where you are content being single if that is the Lord's will. Some young ladies will idolize marriage so much that that when they finally do get married and it doesn't live up to their expectations or, or their husband isn't the Prince Charming that they're seeing in all this marriage YouTube content that they're watching, they enter into depression and dissatisfaction. You need to make sure that you're content in the Lord before you enter into marriage. And so whether it's, it's these sins or other sins, your goal as you're preparing for marriage is, is to deal with those. You need to deal with those things. And then the third piece of biblical advice is singles should spend time preparing for their roles in marriage. In two of the sermons in this series, we talked about the roles of husbands and wives. And if you're single and you desire to marry, start working on these things. Men, start thinking about how you can prepare to lead and to love your wife. That's going to involve protecting and providing for her physically and spiritually. And so a simple application for the men is you need to be able to provide for your wife financially. If you're unable to provide for your wife, then you shouldn't get married. You shouldn't even start dating. 
In the Bible, we read something called, uh, we read about something called the bride price. We see it with Abraham's servant. He's, he's going to get Isaac, a wife, and we see it with Jacob when he desires to marry Rachel, or we see it with David wanting to marry uh, Michal. And in a bride price, what happened is, is the man had to give either a gift or to, to show his skills and abilities so that the father would trust that his daughter would be taken care of and provided for if he was going to let her leave the house and enter under the care of someone else. As a, as a father of, of four girls, I know that I'm going to want to see something like a, a bride price before I marry off my girls. Preferably not in the way that David does it with Saul, if you know the story. Um, but I want to, I want to see, can, can this young man provide for my daughter as I'm providing for her? And if he can't, then uh, he's got to get some things in order first. And so young men, you don't, you don't get into marriage and say, okay, well now it's time to start learning how to lead and love your wife. No, you should already be preparing to do that. And the same is true for ladies. You know, we saw the role of a wife is to help, to submit to and respect her husband. And so how are you developing those things in your life right now? A lot of young women who, who maybe wanted to be married earlier, but, but that's not in the Lord's plan. They wonder, okay, well, should I, should I pursue post-secondary education? What should I do? I think it, it can be valuable if the mindset is, I'm going into this as, as, a, as a means of preparation for my marriage. You don't go to school for like some of the weird degrees, feminist interpretive dance or some other eight-year master's degree. You go into something like nursing or teaching or get a degree in theology or agriculture or a slew of other things that are going to make you a, a better wife one day. That's how you can be preparing. And then one final piece of biblical advice is don't settle. Don't settle out of a desire to be married. I find this can be especially a temptation for ladies. You might be starting to get a little bit older and so you're getting worried. You know, the pool isn't getting any bigger. If I don't hurry, I won't be able to have any kids and I really want kids. So maybe my standards are too high and I, I, should, just, I should just settle. Well, no, don't, don't settle. There should, be, there should be certain biblical things that you are unwilling to compromise on. And don't let your desire to marry lead you to settle. Now, that being said, also make sure that your standards are realistic and you're not, you're not being picky. He's got to be six foot five. He's got to have a six-pack, dreamy blue eyes, a paid-off mortgage, want to have 12 children, two degrees in theology, and read through the New Testament every week. You know, if that's, if that's you, then you'd better embrace your singleness. No, have a, have a list of, of things that must be based upon the Bible Stick to that list, but also make sure that it's, it's realistic. And now finally and very quickly, because I know that I've been going a little bit long, I want to say a few things regarding thinking about dating and courtship biblically. First, the purpose of dating and courtship is with the goal of marriage in mind. Therefore, you should only be dating if you're ready to be married. And to know if you're ready to be married, review the points that we just talked about. And so you don't date for fun. You don't date because you like someone. You date because you want to get married. And so if you have no intention to be married in a, in a fairly short period of, of time, then don't date. You know, Song of Solomon 
says, I adjure you, this is, this is the Shulamite woman saying to the young women, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, that you, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. And so for parents, if you're thinking about this with your teenagers, I don't think there's really like a set age. Like, okay, yeah, once you turn 18, then you can, you can start dating. It's when you think your child would be ready to marry. And that may vary depending on each child. And that leads me to the second piece of instruction for dating. Involve your parents. Involve your parents. It's only recently that dating has become like an individual thing, not a familial thing. All throughout the the Bible and really human history, parents were heavily involved in the process. And I think that's a good thing that we've lost. Now, if you're older and you've moved out of the house, and you're already established on your own, then, it, then it's a little bit different. Uh, but for younger singles, this is, this is important. Proverbs 13 verse 1 says, A wise son hears his father's instruction. A wise son hears his father's instruction. So ask your parents about the person you're interested in. Get their open and honest opinion, and, and be open and honest with them about how you're, you're feeling. And in most cases, I say most because it's not always true, especially if they're, they're solid believers, you're going to want to trust their advice. You're going to want to trust and listen to their advice. And hey, they might even, they might even be able to, to hook you up with a good match uh, when you are ready to start. So involve your parents in it. And then third, know when to cut loose. Know when to cut loose. The purpose of dating and courtship is to discern whether someone is suitable for marriage. You're trying to figure them out and if you figure them out and realize that they're not suitable, don't try and change them. Don't try and, and make a rescue project out of it. Abandon the ship or send them packing. Nothing good is going to come from prolonging a relationship that is not going to work. And so save yourself and this other person the potential sin and heartache. And then finally, and this should be quite obvious, but I'll say it because people still do it, but you should only date a Christian. The Bible calls us to, to not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And so at the top of this list of things they must be, Christian needs to be the top of everybody's list. And if they don't pass the, the Christian test, it doesn't matter how many other things they check off on the list. It doesn't matter how beautiful they are, or how well they can provide for you, or how good they can make you feel. They are off limits. And when I say Christian, I mean, I mean a legitimate Christian. Not just someone who you know, comes to church because their parents have brought them to church when they're young and that's just what they do. Or not someone who says, well, I was baptized as a baby and raised in the church, so of course I'm a Christian. No, someone who, who truly loves the Lord. And how you know that is you're going to see a life that is bearing fruit for God. And so that's... That's my advice for those who are, are single, uh, who are desiring to marry. That's, that's what you need to do uh, if you're looking to date. And that's where we're going to finish today. I pray that our time this morning has been insightful, has been encouraging, has been beneficial to you, no matter where you're going to find yourself in relationships, whether you're married, single, or wanting to be married. We see that God's Word has instruction for all of us. And may the Lord grant us strength, no matter where we're at, to walk in contentment, thanksgiving, and devotion 
and holiness to the Lord, no matter where he has placed us. Let me pray. Dear Lord God, we thank you for the instruction of your word this morning. And we do take hope in knowing that marriage is not the place of all joy and happiness, that that is found in you alone, that in your presence there is the fullness of joy. And we look to our Savior, Jesus Christ, who himself was a, was a single man who knew what it was like to, to be fully free and devoted to the Lord. And we also see other people like Paul and Anna in Scripture. And so we know, God, that that we can be content, we can be satisfied in the situation that you've put us in. But I do pray uh, for those who, who are single and who have been given that gift, God, that you would, you would build them up in their ministry, that you would be near to them as, as a husband is near to them, as we read in Isaiah 54. And um, Lord, that you would, you would use them to do mighty things for the building of your kingdom. And God, for those who are single and who who really see it as an affliction and who desire to be married, I pray, Lord, that you protect them from idolizing marriage. I pray that you, you give them contentment. And I pray, Lord, that you would, in your, your perfect timing, provide them with a spouse who is going to compliment them and help them honor and glorify the Lord in their marriage. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.